Yes, we are. It's been a long and frustrating wait for all of us, but Baseball HQ Radio is back, and we're starting the new season with two of our veteran guests, Ray Murphy and Todd Zola, coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, July the 3rd. It's show number 17 of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have a great Friday roundtable edition for you. We'll have Ray Murphy, the co-general manager of Baseball HQ, and Todd Zola from Masters Ball and Rotowire and Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. And we'll be talking about the chances that this season gets played fully to the end, how Fantasy League should adjust for a 60-game season, and finally, how owners should adjust, whether you've already drafted your teams or your drafts are coming up, or both. As well, Ray will talk about the challenges of getting BaseballHQ.com up to speed with content that fits the novel Corona season. It should be fun, and I hope it's interesting for you, but let me just say in general how great it is that we are indeed back and that we are finally going to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday Roundtable Edition, part one of our roundtable discussion about the new season with Ray Murphy and Todd Zola. Ray, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Ray Murphy, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. It's been quite a while. It has been. Very glad to be back, Peter. And Todd, haven't spoken with you in what seems like forever. Uh, it's really good to talk to you. Welcome back as well. Thanks, guys, and I'm uh, honored to be the one of the, if not the first guest back of the relaunch. Yeah, you two guys are the first. Uh, decided that it's probably a little too early to get into the normal swing of things with player analysis because nobody's playing and nobody's doing anything yet. So we'll try to get that all up and rolling by uh, next Friday's show. But in the meantime, we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, at last report, I'm going to say there's momentum to get this 60-game season rolling. Of course, we've heard this story before, but I think they're much farther along in the process, the owners and the players. I'd like to talk about the details of some of the new rules, but to start, considering the rapidly climbing caseloads of COVID-19, especially in states that have a lot of teams, uh, Florida, Texas, California, how optimistic are you guys that the season is actually going to get all the way through even to 60 games, Ray? I certainly less than 100% optimistic. Uh, obviously, there's some big problems in some parts of the country, like you say, that uh, house a decent chunk of the uh, MLB teams. I, I half-jokingly said on Twitter last week that the teams should move into the footprint of the Eastern League up here in uh, the Northeast U.S. and play there in uh, Portland and Scranton and Hartford and those kind of places where the numbers are a little more in control. Um but you know, I think it's something that you know bears watching both through the spring training too, or summer camp, or whatever we're calling it right now in the next month, and certainly beyond. But I, I my my overriding hope, or my only reason for optimism, is that there's, I think, so much of an appetite now that the fighting of June between labor and management is over. I think there's a pretty strong commitment to get this thing done, and as long as they're flexible then I think they probably have ways of getting it done, but it remains to be seen for sure. Todd, you're the scientist among us. Uh, what do you say? Yeah, um, 
Ray actually kind of summed up my response because I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't know, and no one knows, and that's that's part of the problem. Is people are making guesses, a conjecture, one way or the other, and we don't know what we don't know enough about the virus yet. We don't know how people are going to react. So the the answer is, I mean, I, I'm with Ray in that there's obviously, you know, a non-zero chance that 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 things get shut down. However, I think there's enough provisions there now that if the teams and the employees, etc., follow the rules, I think they can find a way to get things done. So I remain cautiously optimistic, but I can't put a you know percentage-wise on it just because you know I I do projections for a living, so I, I always guess the unknown. But this is a little bit different. The, the the unknown here is completely different. So you know maybe the first question asked not currying favor with the audience, but you know what we we don't know. So cautiously optimistic and cross fingers that they figure out how to get it done. What was it that Donald Rumsfeld said? There are things we know that we know and things we don't know that we know and things we don't know that we don't know. And I think, you know, as as sort of glib as it was at the time, I think there's a lot of truth in it. You know, you, you try to make plans uh, for any kind of thing and, and you realize that there are things that you know and you know that there are things that you don't, but there are a lot of things that you don't know you don't know. And, and that's, I think, where the risk is. But let's assume for the sake of argument that there is the full 60-game season and so we can talk about how, if at all, leagues are going to adjust their rules. And I'd like to start with in-season position eligibility, and I'll just get my two cents worth on the record by saying I think that uh, it sh- probably should just be one game at this stage of the at this stage of the year, and uh, it's not worth arguing about. Really, there are other fish to fry. Um, Todd, what do you think? I think one's a little bit short. Um, I if it if it's normally five games. I can either go three or five. If it's normally ten games, I think you can go four or five. I think I think one makes it a little bit too much of a free for all, just because there's going to be a lot of a lot of people playing a lot of different positions with so many roster spots. But I'm not again as long as we're playing. If if my commissioner says one, I'm not quitting the league. Ray. Yeah, I'm with you both in the sense that this is not a hill I need to die on. Just tell me the rules in advance, and I'll play them. Uh, three sounds reasonable. You know, I, I get TikTok's point about one game silliness. So if you wanted to make the number two, I would sign on the bottom line. Uh, five seems like the upper bound to me, but anything in that range, I'm ready to go. I have seen some fairly vigorous debates on Twitter uh, about the innings minimums. And if you're playing in a league that has plate appearance or at bat minimums, how are those going to be adjusted or are there going to be minimums at all this season? Uh, Ray, let's start with you. What do you think is the uh, is the optimal way to handle the uh, whole idea of innings and plate appearance minimums? I'm a little more interested in this topic than the previous one in that I'm not going to hand wave this too much because I do think there are some strategic elements like going with an all relief staff or whatever that you want to at least account for in your rules. If you had, say, a thousand inning minimum and we did a 37% proration on that for 60 games, that obviously brings you to 370. I think that's a little high just for the possibility of attrition for the likelihood that pitchers aren't going to be throwing that many innings immediately after a three week spring training. So I think I've come down at 300 as being a fairly reasonable number that is lenient, but still establishes some kind of standard. Uh, But that's just me. My 
you know, I, I, you can do within that context of lenient, but still enforcing something. Pick a number relative to whatever your old full season rule was in your league that accomplishes that goal, and I think you've done well. Todd? Yeah, weren't we prescient in Tout Wars by eliminating the inning, innings? I just wish we told everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, Ray, <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, we're, we're, we're numbers nerds. Let's get nerdy. Uh, and Ray actually hitting the exact number. He said 300 out of 1,000. Make it 30%. You know, if it's 900, make it 270. Make it, it's you know, 30% adds to buffer in. So, it, it, you know, make, you know, just lower it. And, and But but to me, a 30, if you if you guys are looking for a number, 30% good, because that's 300 out of 1,000, 270 out of 900. And uh, it, it, it does allow for some of the uh, in, unknown, unclarity as, as far as how teams will be handling their pitching. As a matter of fact, Mike Gianello was the only guy in Tout Ale who did know about the uh, removal of the innings minimum and I wonder if his roster is going to be advantageous in this shortened season because he did go with an entire uh, uh, reliever kind of staff intending to play it that way for a full season and I wonder if it's uh, we'll talk about this more later but I wonder if it's going to be uh, more optimally matched to the way that the game is going to shape up this year but there's uh, another question on the pitching side and it has to do with the counting stats wins and saves of course wins are always such a crapshoot and everybody sort of argues that we should try to find something new is this an opportunity for us to go to quality starts because there's a little more of them perhaps and they're more likely to be uh, acquired by good pitchers and then there's the question of saves versus saves plus holds because uh, everybody seems to think that uh, there's going to be more relief pitching in all the games Uh, todd where do you stand on uh, wins and saves versus the alternatives yeah i mean i'm actually going to make this argument for leagues that have already drafted and i know that you know the pavlovian response is you can't do it we uh, we drafted one way already but i think this year especially in new leagues but even in leagues already drafted Make the wins category innings pitched. This way you're not worrying about if, uh, if a guy's going to uh, go four innings and not get credit for the win, or if a different reliever is going to go four and get the win. And the reason I say you can do it, you know, retro, already done, if you think about your strategy in a 162-game season, how you're going to handle pitching, and now you think about a strategy, how you're going to handle pitching in a 60-game season with wins, and in a 60-game season with innings pitched, I'll bet you the strategy that you derive with innings pitched more closely matches that which you would use in a 162-game season with wins. So I understand there are counters. It's not perfect. But I, I think you can make a salient argument to switch wins to innings pitched now. I'm, a, I'm in favor of that regardless. But um, So that would be, I mean, that it's kind of out of the box, but I would do that. To me, quality starts... I don't know. Guys are going to get quality starts. We're probably going to get quality starts anyway. So I'm not. I'm not a big quality start fan. But either you just leave it alone, or you try to convince your league to go to innings pitch instead of wins. And as far as saves plus holds go, um, I just I think there's so much turnover with with closers and et cetera. I think you just leave it at saves. And if it just might change the way you play the wire, it may change you know trades, et cetera. I don't think you need to add holes to, to account for the for the season. 
I think uh, ordinarily I don't care about these kinds of questions. I'll, like Ray said, I'll play whatever rules you guys want to throw at me. But in this instance, because of the likelihood that there's going to be all kinds of weirdness going on with the way uh, teams manage their pitching, I think saves plus holds might be a sensible way to do it this year because they might it, it, it rewards you for drafting good relief pitchers rather than closers. And I think there's something to be said for that in general. But in a year like this, I think that maybe it's a little bit extra true. Ray, what do you think? I'll just throw in one other thought, and I will say as far as Todd's argument, I was Pavlov, but uh, when he made this argument on Twitter the other day, it pretty much convinced me. I'm pretty flexible to begin with, though. But the other point I would make is I think some of these are changes that even before the pandemic, we were suggesting that that, that league should adopt. And if you were having trouble convincing some people in your league that – it's time to shake things up and go from wins to innings or go from saves to save plus holds. I think a 60-game laboratory season is an excellent opportunity to try to get some of those holdouts to try it as an experiment, see how it goes, and thinking back, to, thinking to hopefully getting back to full season ball in 21 and beyond, maybe this is a way to shake your league out of its doldrums and modernize the categories a little bit and move forward. I'll tell you how it will go. Anybody who says, okay, let's try it this year and loses his league by a point and a half because of saves plus holds is going to be against it in the future. And anybody who wins his league because of it will be in favor of it for the future. Uh, I've been playing this game a long time, and that tends to be how things roll. Uh, Any other categories, uh, Ray, that you think might be worthy of looking at in this same spirit of experimentation and let's give it a whirl for 60 games, what the heck? Uh, You know, most of the other categories are pretty straightforward and self-explanatory. Is there any reason to look at any of them? I mean, sort of along the same lines, I I think in this sprint season where literally every at-bat is critical, if your league hasn't gone from batting average to on-base percentage, there's a great way to make literally every plate appearance meaningful again. So, you know, in 60 games, when if you're in a batting average league and your guy walks, yeah, sure, maybe he'll get a run or or a stolen base or whatever. But, you know, let's let's not throw away 8% of the plate appearances on in the batting average denominator, I'm, uh, I, I think I can throw the you know, let's move from BA to OBP into the same hopper here. I'm going to answer, but not so much as categories, but um, in, in, in a head-to-head league, this is an, a great opportunity to try the all-play format where you're not just matched up against one opponent, you're matched up against everybody in the league. And so if, you've, if there's 12 teams in the league and you score the most points, you get like 11, 11 wins because you beat 11 teams. It, uh, you don't have to worry as much about the schedule. You don't have the, the fluky, well, I have the second highest score of the week and I played the highest score, so I get the loss. So to me, it's, an, it's a way, and I, I, anyway, I, I play a football league that does this, and we have a lot of fun with it. Um, so if you're in a head-to-head league and wondering how you're going to have your schedule, uh, you know, how you're going to work out playoffs with only nine weeks, make it all play, and uh, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that's a good one. Is there a way you could have a, a league where the uh, the you did literally have all play, but it was still segmented out game by game, so that you could match up how you know I did against Todd, and we could figure out our wins, and then how I did against Ray, and how Ray did against Todd, and so on down the list. I mean, it would be a pain in the behind to do manually, but I think computers could handle it pretty straight straightforwardly. I, you know, I mean, you could do the results, and I could copy and paste them and put them in Excel, and you know, the couple Excel tricks get the uh, get it right, you know, get it sure. quickly. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know what 
you know, what what the purpose would be. I'm in, you know, maybe a tiebreaker, I suppose, if two teams are tied, and that you use that as a tiebreaker. But um, I mean, the point of all play is that you know it's it's extended over enough weeks that now you know if you if you insist on doing head to head, which is fine. They, you, some people like that action, like that feel. It's it's the all play minimizes or reduces, mitigates some of the 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 luck due to scheduling matchups. Yeah, that's certainly true, but uh, I know a big feature of head-to-head in the few times I've played it was talking smack to the guy that you beat that week or, uh, you know, getting into those kind of uh, uh, message board arguments and, and uh, name-calling. You can still do it. I mean, I know pe- people in the football league, they you know, there's a, they have a standing, you know, jelly bean uh, co- competition every week where they add up, if you win, you want me a jelly bean. If I win, I you a jelly bean. And they keep, you know, keep track over the 16 weeks. So if people are into that sort of thing with their friends, you know, it, it's fine. You, you know, during the draft, we always, one guy says, yeah, the sta- standing bet. And we go, and the other guy goes, yep. And, it, they're, they're, you know, we all know what's going on. And I'm sure there's others of those as well. So that kind of stuff can can continue to uh can continue on but uh it does you know when you know you pay your buddy twice a year it does kind of detract from that but um you know it's just again it's one of those things where uh if you if you win the all play like you're saying before you're going to vote for it next year but if your team was terrible you're not going to vote for it because you're going to say well i may have finished middle of the pack otherwise and and snuck into the playoffs let me throw one more out for you guys um, that came up on our forums, which I thought was an interesting idea. I'm generally anti the daily transaction format, but for a sprint season, maybe it's just because of how much I miss baseball at this point in July, or maybe it's the idea of doing daily transactions and grinding out your roster every day for two months isn't as imposing. But I thought moving from weekly or biweekly transactions, even just line up in and out for from bench to active roster daily, I thought was a way to mitigate uh, some of the uh, short season, give people more control. Uh, I, I prefer to institute the rule that we use in tout wars where it's weekly, but if your player goes on the DL, you can move that player out of your lineup. Daily is just a completely different animal, and it's just, I, don't, I mean, I know you only have to grind it over two months, but it just changes the game for me. But I would not mind, if uh, even in a league that didn't have it, if the commissioner just unilaterally says, uh, you know, we're going to, if your guy gets hurt, you can take him out of your lineup. Uh, you have to leave him out the entire week, but you can, re- you know, in, even if they extend the reserve or something. I'll sign off on that. Someone which switches to, to a daily league and there was an entry fee, I'd probably have a hard time uh, playing the full fee anyway. Sound fair. And again, in any of these kind of questions, really, you have to sort of pull your league and see if anybody's going to really object to it so strenuously that it causes, you know, unpleasantness and strain amongst the owners and try to build a consensus, uh, whether you're using the idea that, hey, it's only 60 games, let's give it a whirl and see how we like it versus uh, let's just keep things going how they are. And, and, and there's no right answer, I think. And the last question I'd like to ask before we change topics on this uh, idea of how the leagues are affected is keeper leagues, because I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter about how are we going to handle player contracts this year. If you have a, a, a guy whose contract ends after 2020, it's kind of a Mookie Betts situation. Like, is his contract over for you in uh, in fantasy, or should do you have to extend him now, even though he's only, you're only going to get 60 games out of him, or do you just sort of suspend everything right now and then move to 2021 and say, once we get a full season, we'll resume uh, that kind of thing? Or uh, should keeper leagues just 
go to a redraft for one year and ha- have fun in a sprint. Um, Ray, what do you think? I like the last idea the best, and I'll stipulate up front that I'm not in any keeper leagues with contracts. I'm in a bunch of dynasty leagues where you keep everybody forever, so or you know keep a number of guys forever, so it's less of an issue. But I, I like, and the discussions in our forums have seemed to be gravitating toward putting whether or not you drafted before things got shut down in March, put your long-term contract league into a deep freeze and go off and do something fun on a one-off redraft basis for this year. Maybe it's a different uh, format. Maybe you do, if, if you're AL or NL only, you do mixed or you switch leagues or what have you. If you do an auction, maybe you do a straight draft. Do something different to that does not disturb the keeper league structure because, you know, it is sort of unfair to people who have been going in one direction or another for multiple years building up to this year and then to play it out this way. Todd, what do you think about the keeper leagues? Yeah, I actually do play in several, uh, not just dynasty, but contracts, etc. And it's tricky. It's a very slippery slope. And you know, to me, it should be one of the two extremes in that it's just status quo. You keep the you keep the entry fee as is, and you extend you know you accelerate your contracts as normal, and it's just you introduce a little bit more luck to it. And you know, teams that think they didn't have a chance maybe luck into it, and teams that have been rebuilding and, and this is their year. They just have to hope that they don't get, you know, that they don't have a bad beat, if you will. Or the other extreme, as, as Ray mentioned, where you just put every, you freeze it, and you just, you, you, you do a draft, you do a, you know, or you do an auction, or you, whatever, and just have some fun. Because the key, to me, the key for this year, in general, is just to have this, if there's ever two-month period, just to have some fun and enjoy the game and not take, and, and, and not judge each other's fantasy baseball acumen based on what happens this year. I mean, nothing that happens should go onto a, a Hall of Fame resume, good or bad, you know, saying that tongue-in-cheek. Just, if there's ever a season, just have some fun and enjoy the purity, you know, the fun of the game and your the interaction with friends. This is this is the time. But getting back to the keeper, where it gets to be slippery, and I'm experiencing this right now, there's some people that want to play for a reduced fee, a reduced entry, feeling that it's too, you know, I, it's, it's, I don't want to invest the full boat because it's just, you know, it's not the best teams may not win, but once you do that, now you now you're messing with the keepers because it's not fair, it's not fair to extend them all, it's not fair to freeze them all because there are people getting you know hurt on either end. So we've come up with a solution where uh, you have X amount of keepers. We're allowing you know Y amount of contracts to be you know not for, not rolled over. So it's kind of a compromise in that you know some of the contracts roll over to replenish the pool for those that are rebuilding and, 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 and expect to have the players to help them along with the keepers next year and the year after. But, you know, those that have, you know, have a team that's competing now and, and you know, literally invested the entry fees for the past three or four years just to get to this point and only playing for a small pool, we're letting, you know, X amount of keepers to be extended another year to extend their window. So now it's just a matter of landing on the right entry fee and landing on the right number of keepers to to make everybody happy. Ray Murphy is the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com and a columnist at the site. Todd Zola runs Masters Ball, writes for Rotowire, and appears regularly on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio 
and on more podcasts than Bill Simmons. We'll take a break here because I'm going to play my favorite home run call of all time. Then we'll let Todd take a break while I ask Ray about what's going on at BaseballHQ.com. Stay with us. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 715. There's a new home run champion of all time. And it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate. And listen to this crowd. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Going to take a quick detour here to talk with Ray Murphy, the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com, about how the site is adjusting to the shorter season. Ray, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, I'm always curious about things like this where, you know, we have this huge disruption in the normal flow of things. And, uh, of course, you're the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com, and uh, you have a fairly well-established practice, a well-established routine to get everything rolling in sort of January, February, start spooling up for your articles, planning, scheduling, and then this happens. And now it comes back on fairly short notice, relatively speaking. So uh, just in general, before we talk about specifics, how have you and Brent been trying to figure out what you're going to do with this whole situation? Yeah, it's sort of been, you know, obviously unprecedented. So we've really been making it up as we go. Um, You're certainly right. I wrote back in March right around the shutdown that it was like being, you know, being in a car at 100 miles an hour, and we were hitting on all cylinders at the peak time of year in mid-March, and then it was like we hit a brick wall. Everything just screeched to a halt. And it took a little while to, you know, for, to realize that we were going to be down for a while, and you know, we made some plans for content to get us through April, and then it got to be May, and we needed to decide what to do, and that was the time when we cut the projections from full season down to a hundred game projection set because that seemed like the most we could get at that time and cutting the projections down to a hundred games gave us a couple of weeks of content to talk about uh you know shorten winners and losers shorten data set you know some strategic elements and then it got by the time we got into memorial day or so when we there were we thought there was going to be an agreement it got pretty dry and we were, you know, sort of struggling to figure out what was going to happen if there was no agreement. And we wanted the agreement sooner than later. And boy, I don't know about you, but it was pretty frustrating for a couple of weeks there watching the uh, watching that particular sausage get made. It was, and it seems uh, like there's plenty of blame to go around. I don't think it's our place to point fingers at anybody in particular, but it certainly left you and uh, Brent with some planning issues because, uh, as you said, at this point, you're looking at what you thought was going to be a start, and then it start the uh, attempted start, shall we say, gets off the rails, and then for a while there, it looked like there was going to be no season. Uh, if you remember, the commissioner said first, there'll be a season, then I'm no worried there'll be no season. And uh, all this while, you guys are t- constantly trying to rescale for a shorter and shorter season. Finally, it looks like they've got something set up at 60 games. It's not ideal, obviously. Uh, I wonder if they could have gone uh, a little longer, but they were worried about, I, they said they were worried about the virus. I think they're more worried about competing with football. And they didn't want to keep that 
uh, keep that going any longer than they had to. So once you realized that it was 60 games, uh, you and Brent put your heads together. What did you come up with for a plan? Yeah, it was really a sort of a, a reuse or an extension of what we did when we went to a hundred game projection set is we had, you know, it was actually a bit of a technical challenge to figure out how you change the projections to just a hundred games globally. Um, so we knew how to do that as many times as we needed to at that point. And, you know, some of the strategic considerations that we wrote about in a hundred games just get more exacerbated in sixties. So we sort of had, you know, knew which way the directional trends were going. And it's just a matter of, uh, you know, sharpening them up. And then we got confirmation of things like the, uh, the, the NLDH and this East, East, Central, Central, West, West schedule. We haven't seen the actual schedule yet, but we know that's what it's going to be. So for instance, just this week, I was in on our, uh, park factors page, reorganizing that. So you can get a, a, uh, sort of a visual representation of the, um, factors for each of those groupings rather than have it be an ALNL grouping. So there's a, you know, there, there was a punch list of stuff that had to be done once we got the official rule set, but, um, you know, we had a lot of time to think about it while we were waiting for the final answer. So, you know, we, we had plenty of time to make the list. Now, BaseballHQ.com subscribers of any kind of standing have been around for a while have got used to the sort of roster of BaseballHQ.com articles and features that come up every year, uh, buyer's guides, the, uh, the facts and flukes columns, uh, performance validation columns. We have the, uh, the various game guides and so forth. How much of those article, uh, let me rephrase that. How many of those article formats are going to be part of the offering for this shortened season? I think the content will look very similar to what you're used to. Um, even this week, one thing you'll see in the preseason period during this, uh, I don't know, I forget if we're calling it spring training 2.0 or summer camp now or whatever it is. Uh, one thing you'll see before the season starts is I think we're going to have a lot of emphasis on gaming and strategy articles uh, just to cover the strategic ramifications, the gameplay aspects of uh, the short season. And some of that, some of that we're even seeing this week with uh, Ryan Bloomfield ran a uh, staff roundtable discussion that is actually running under the speculator banner, but covers a lot of uh, strategic stuff. Um, when we get to end season, it'll look like it usually does. Uh, we're going to, the thing we struggled with was the fat and food columns because those tend to be based on taking a longer-term performance view, and we don't usually run them in April while we're waiting for the sample size to bake. And if we took that approach in this season, well, it would be September before we ran any of them, and <laughs> by the time we wanted to pick a directional arrow for what we thought about a player's performance – you know, the season would be almost over. So we're going to run those fat flukes in season. We'll wait a little bit. We'll wait. I forget if it's going to be two or three weeks, but we'll wait a little while before they start. But we're going to have to uh, caveat them a little bit or put in a disclaimer that says this is, uh, you know, we're, we're drawing conclusions uh, more quickly than we normally would have in a 162-game season. 
I've seen a fair amount of discussion on Twitter with uh, fantasy leaguers talking about how they're going to react to the situation, and there seems to be an uptick of interest in daily fantasy because it seems like daily fantasy will be less affected by the ramifications of strategy and so forth that we're going to see when we're trying to plan our rosters for full season, I still will call it, uh, uh, fantasy baseball formats. But if you're in daily, a lot of it seems more comfortable and familiar with what we've had before because you're not ma- making those kind of long-term decisions. You're making these very short-term decisions. What's Baseball HQ doing as far as uh, daily fantasy offerings? Yeah, so the linchpin of our daily offerings is always the uh, starting pitcher matchup reports, uh, and that'll be even more interesting than usual, especially in the early season, because uh, you know, the ratings will work. The ratings work, as they always do, will burp out a score for the pitcher based on their skills and performance and rank, and rank them for the day. Um, and that's always a nice thing to take over to the DFS world and compare to the prices. The thing that's going to be different about it, um, and one thing that I think is going to affect a lot of drafts for both the season and for um, daily games is trying to figure out how long these pitchers are going to go and what the uh, what teams are doing, who's actually using a starting rotation, who's doing some opener or bullpenning kind of strategy either in the first couple of weeks of the season or longer than that. I think you're going to see it go on longer than that. So, yeah, the two things we always do for the starting pitchers every day is have that report with the scores, but then the other important part of it is having a writer – Uh, go through the scores and comment further on each pitcher and they'll be able to comment on things like how many pitches they might be expected to throw or who the second man in is going to be if it's been disclosed I think that's really important for uh well really for any format but it's but that's gonna that's gonna spill over to the DFS world for sure you mentioned uh, Ryan Bloomfield's speculator column is kind of a virtual roundtable this week. Uh, uh, he gathered up a bunch of uh, opinions from uh, all the writers across the Baseball HQ staff on a variety of strategic and tactical topics, as you mentioned. Uh, how likely is it that Ryan or somebody else is going to be uh, repeating that process as we go through? Because even as much as we try to plan, clearly there's going to be some stuff that pops up that nobody thought of and we're going to have to react to it fairly quickly. Is the virtual roundtable going to be something that we see more frequently at BaseballHQ.com? Yeah, I think it will be. It's something that um, is being pretty well received this week. It it makes logical sense just from the perspective of this being an entirely new season, new format, a set of challenges we've never run into before. And one of the great strengths we have at HQ is the um, depth and... um, perspective of our you know of our staff of 40 plus people and this is one of those it takes a takes a village moment so yeah i think we'll be waiting on the entire village um you know maybe a little bit more than usual one of the things we didn't get to in march that i'm sure i'll spin up uh sometime closer to opening day here in july is our staff survey where we put together a mega poll of you know 50 or 60 or 70 questions asking the staff to uh, basically fill out a giant survey on a whole bunch, whole bunch of topics. Um, luckily, I had not even wasted my time designing that survey in March yet, but uh, you know, we'll spin that up in July. That's another, um, another way to get the, get the uh, pulse of the entire staff, if you will. And finally, Ray, is there anything that uh, people have gotten used to at BaseballHQ.com that will probably be de-emphasized because of the shortness of the season? Uh, nothing comes to mind off the top of my head. 
Um, one of the things we're looking at, um, it's probably a good place to talk about this. One of the things we're looking at is the Mayberry rankings, uh, which I know a lot of people use for their drafts for those people who are still drafting, but, um, they measure players skill and playing time in a, uh, you know, a quick shorthand that allows for sorting of players into buckets at the draft table, uh, you know, things like 3403 ACC, that sort of thing. Um, and one of those components in that rating system is the playing time component. Uh, but the, the tricky thing is somebody pointed out to me this week is the playing time component is not based on a percentage. It's based on actual at-bats or plate appearances. So literally there's nobody in the player pool right now in a 60 game season who's got a rating of higher than zero or one in uh the mayberry ratings so that's that, that has some implications for people who have drafts this month we might I, i'm taking a look this weekend at how we might actually be able to adjust that and make it um something that's useful but that's uh you know there uh, there may yet be some other rocks that i turn over like that that uh that there are things that people go looking for in july that they would have used in march and now have not adapted as cleanly to the short season so that's uh that's that's one i'm looking at but i can't promise that it's the only one and i know i said finally but actually two other things popped into my head so i'll ask uh, any any adjustments made in in uh, prospect coverage minor leaguer coverage given what we know and don't know about how that, those players are going to be used in the short season oh for sure it's going to be uh you know there, there's been some major impact there uh you know chris blessing this week wrote a nice piece about um you know the how the 60 man rosters would work for prospects and what some of the considerations might be for how players get handled there. Um, you know, call-ups are going to, you know, are a big feature of the site every day when we're calling up, you know, we're covering any player newly called up from the minors and commenting on what they've been doing in the minors, which is now not something we're going to be able to do. I mean, we can cover right. the call-up, but we can't talk about what they were doing in AAA or whatever. It also remains to be seen how much churn there's going to be from these 60-man taxi squads up to the, 30, then 28, then 26 MLB man, MLB rosters. So we'll have it covered, but that's one of those things that I'm not sure I really know what the shape of it's going to look like just yet. And finally, and this time for sure, finally, Ray, um, what's the news on first pitch Arizona, typically uh, around the start of November, end of October time? Um, of course, everything's changed about that. I don't even know if there is a uh, Arizona Fall League this year. I suspect not. But uh, what is the current state of play with First Pitch Arizona 2020? Uh, well, I guess we should break some news here. I was going to break. The, I was going to announce this in a uh, subscriber email next week, but uh, we're here and we're talking about it. And you're the interviewer who asked the right question. So unfortunately, there will not be a First Pitch Arizona this year. At least not an in-person one. Uh, we contacted our hotel where we had our reservations this week, and given all the uncertainty, we rolled over that reservation till 2021. So uh, we will not have that event this year um, as we get a little, probably as we get past opening day here and get through the, sp th through the first leg of this sprint, we'll take a look at whether we do some online offering for First Pitch Arizona or if we sort of double down and try to make... Uh, Spring 21's First Pitch Florida event, uh, Bonanza to cover both of them, or both of the above. But uh, yeah, we're not going to be able to do uh, First Pitch Arizona this this year. The uh, the spike in cases in Arizona lately was really the uh, the last nail in that co that coffin. 
Yes, when I saw that news starting to come out uh, about the states that are having the, the toughest time with uh, caseload increases and Arizona was at the top of the list, I said, well, that even if you could figure out a way to get the event rolling, I wonder how many people would have said, you know what, I'm going to pass this year because I just don't want any part of it until they get that sorted out. So probably a wise decision, disappointing, of course, uh, but there's always next year. And there's, of course, there's First Pitch Florida. If you saved up a bunch of money and you wanted to go to First Pitch Arizona, maybe you can go to the spring training in Florida, assuming we have that in 2021. Exactly. That's the hope. And, you know, as we keep hearing in all industries, you know, as rough as these times are and as tough as it is to, uh, to lose these uh, staples in our calendar, we 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 are we can certainly look forward to uh, fall of twenty one, and we'll we'll get back out to uh, the to, to the fall week then and uh, make up for lost time. All right, Ray, thanks a million. Uh, hang on for a second. We'll get back with Todd Zola, and we'll continue our roundtable discussion. Excellent. Ray Murphy is co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com. Hey. That first home run call made me want to listen quickly to my second favorite home run call of all time. Then when we come back, Ray and I will be rejoined by Todd Zola, and we'll continue our roundtable discussion of the new season focusing on drafting and roster management. Stay with us. Two balls and two strikes on it. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. PD here with Ray Murphy from Baseball HQ and Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, and Sirius XM. Guys, we talked about fantasy baseball at the league level. Let's bring it down now to a team level and talk about some strategies and tactics for the new normal in 2020. And given there won't be a lot of actual exhibition games, uh, no competition to really chart or measure, what will you guys be watching for during these training camps, for want of a better word, Ray? The biggest thing for me, I think, is how far pitchers are going to be stretched out by the last couple of days of this new camp and what the expectations are for how many pitches, how many innings people are going to be able to throw in the first couple of weeks. Because the first couple of weeks, the first two or three starts is such a decent chunk of the season that if most guys are at the three, four inning level first time out versus there's at least a plausible opportunity to go five plus, that's going to, that's quite frankly going to affect how I draft pitchers and at a global level going into the season, whether I'm willing to invest in an ace or whether I'm going to fade pitching early on, try to build a giant offense and go from there. Now, will we get that information from intrepid reporters trying to get into closed stadiums to, you know, check workouts? I have no idea. It's fascinating. Well, I've purchased 30 drones and I've hired 30 people (laughs) in each of the major league cities to, uh, you know what? I mean, it's silly me. I, I figured we get exhibition games before. You know what? There's no way we can have exhibition games. So, like, we're going to be relying on reports. We're going to be relying on so-and-so through 75 pitches in a bullpen. You know, so-and-so through 50 pitches in an inter-squad game. And we're just going to have to extrapolate from there to see, you know, how, if we think that means three, four, five innings. And I think some managers will be up front. Minnesota's already said, hey, we could throw five innings today. 
Whereas, you know, there's some teams Atlanta is saying, well, we're going three or four. So I, we're going to we're being re, we're even more so reliant on reports, trying to figure out what is manager speak and what's real and, and, and just going from there. But um, I, you know, strategy wise, I, I think I think the studs are going to be the studs, you know, on that on an opening game when in theory Garrett Cole's facing Max Scherzer. I don't think we're seeing a forwarding game from each, you know, I think these guys are going to, you know, grind it out tooth and nail. I mean, so, I, you know, strategy-wise, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not going to avoid the star pitchers. I, I, want, I want the stud pitchers. I may, I may stay out of that middle where you're not quite sure if they're going three or four, and then just churn, churn, churn with the birds, churn, churn, churn. Uh, I'm going to just churn, 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 don't make me sing, because uh, I think there'll be a lot of pitchers uh, coming, you know, available in that range, so... Give me stud pitching early. I'm staying out of the middle where I normally live, and then gonna go just churn my end of the roster when we know what what different teams are doing. Yeah, I think that's a key point that as the season itself starts getting into shape and, and establishing a rhythm, we're gonna start seeing pitchers coming out of nowhere, and, and there's gonna be a lot of roster churn in fantasy teams. I do believe now, Todd, you mentioned something about the valuation of pitchers uh, given the short run and the value of aces versus other guys, which has been kind of a, a thing over the last couple of years anyway. There was a lot of talk on Twitter that uh, among experts that this was a year that you're going to have to really swing your values way, way, way heavy favor of hitters. But in a lot of uh, leagues that I've seen drafted and posted, it looks like it's the ace pitchers are going right where they went in March. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get hung up on values. Um, something, some of the work, work I've done in, in, the, in this delay is getting way off of values and much more pointing towards team construct. But, you know, having said that, I, you know, we are just doing general rankings. Again, I want, I want the, the, the starters. I want the foundation because I think, I think the key to hitting this year, uh, more than anything, it's always, the, it's always this way, but even more so in the short season, I just want plate appearances. I want, you know, people are going to get hot or people are going to be off to slow starts. It's all, to me, it's all about opportunity. The more games that, that the, each player plays, to me, the better chance he has to get hot, not to mention the way to beat variance is with volume. So I, I'm willing to forego some of the very top hitters, get a couple of top pitchers there, and then just focus on, you know, the Bory, the Marcus Semyons, the guys that I don't think anybody's going to play 60 games because there's fewer off days. So, I mean, you know, the guys are going to play 55 games. C.J. Crone, who, you know, boring, but who's who else is going to play? So I, I think that's the way to counter, counter or, 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 or you know, hand in hand with taking some pitching earlier than normal is just to throughout your entire lineup just go for steady because I, I also hear people they're going to say why not just swerve into the variance curve and just go for the riskier players because heck it's it's risk anyway you know what this is a year to have fun and if you normally if you if you normally don't draft miguel sano because he's too risky and you want to just have some fun this year grab him that's that's what this year is all about but even so i'm i i think this is the year to load up on plate appearances try to figure out who's going to play hit closer to the top of the order which we may or may not know from spring reports maybe we'll hear about inter-squad games but just go for as much volume as we can 
And we'll have a pretty good idea of who's going to have top of the order status because they will have had it in the past, notwithstanding the younger players and stuff. But, you know, we can be pretty confident that certain players are going to hit a high in the order and certain players are not. Ray, what do you think about the whole question of how much to, how, how to balance hitting versus pitching in roster, in your roster planning and roster construction planning insofar as hitters seem to be more likely to, deliver what you expect to deliver with lower levels of variance because of the higher numbers of plate appearances and so all of those kind of arguments how are you swinging on hitters versus pitchers yeah i understand and agree with todd's argument that the aces will be the aces i think i'm going to treat those guys as very individual cases though you got to check in on them in those reports we were talking about earlier just to make sure that they're on track to deliver hopefully an ace caliber performance assuming they are the aces the, the aces are the aces i'm more or less by that but to me the i ve- also very much agree with Ch- todd's point about plate appearances and also wanting to churn the back end of the pitching roster and chase the guys who are emerging in roles as the season goes on to do that i think you need to build basically a set it and forget it offense you don't want to be carrying platoon bats and trying to decide if they're playing two or three games versus right-handed pitching on the weekend or three or four in the Monday to Thursday period. I think you do, as Todd says, you want as many C.J. Crone. My example is Willie Adamas. Um, you know, as many as many of those guys who you just know are going to be in the darn lineup every day. Um, but other than the, the problem with that is, other than guys like Crone and Adamas. The majority of those guys are the guys who get drafted early anyway. So to me, to get a set and forget it offense, I think you have to make a heavy early investment in it. Maybe you sprinkle in an ace. Maybe you sprinkle in a Josh Hader if that's how you want to build your build your pitching staff to try to make a hedge against the cheaper starters by having the high strikeout reliever. But I think you know in a in a world where Previously, I would have probably come out of the first 10 rounds of an NFC draft with six hitters and four pitchers. I'm certainly going to be seven and three. I may very well be eight and two. I'm also curious what you guys think about drafting prospects. Uh, in spring drafts, leagues I was in, uh, I saw guys like Nate Pearson, Wander Franco, uh, Gavin Lux. I know he had a cup of coffee, but you know, guys like that were definitely being targeted because owners expected that they were going to be up in baseball maybe by end of April, early May, and playing and getting a lot of plate appearances. But that all seems to be in flux now because we just are really trying to get a handle, I think, on how much risk the real major league teams want to absorb by putting these guys into tough situations because it's such a sprint and you really can't afford to lose a single game. And I think because it's so short, I think there's a lot more teams than usual are going to think that they have a chance to make this expanded playoffs. They don't want to give up even one possible game, which usually mitigates against young players. But you could also say, if you're Toronto, you need to put Nate Pearson in that lineup. Uh, Ray, how should we be expecting teams to handle prospects in this much shorter season? And what does that mean for how we should be handling them as fantasy owners? I, I'm not the guy who, tends, who was really chasing prospects that hard in March anyway. I usually let them go and let somebody else jump on that hype train. So I'm even further down that path right now. Even the guys who we thought the playing time was assured in March, um, 
Lewis Robert comes to mind uh, because he had signed his contract and was going to be on the opening day roster and was going to be the everyday center fielder, blah, blah, blah. But what happens now, I mean, we're, we were, you know, we kept pointing out that there's a bunch of swing and miss in his game. What if he strikes out 12 times and 20 at bats in the first week? Are the White Sox going to give him a second week when they're trying to make the playoffs or are they going to, you know, sit him down for a while? I, that that's the that's the risk to me. You can say the same thing about Kyle Tucker and Gavin Lux. You know, they all have varying skill concerns, but you know, a lot of these guys need the transition. I remember Alex Bregman went what over twenty three when he came up, and then caught fire right after that and never looked back. But how will, will these teams let those guys take those early lumps? Now, on the flip side of the coin, I think by September. As the standings are sort of sorted out, you're going to see, in particular, a lot of the pitchers. You're going to see Nate Pearson. You're going to see Mize and Manning and Scooble in Detroit. You're going to, you know, and so on. Because I think at some point, developmentally, especially for pitchers, these guys need to throw some innings in anger this year, and nobody wants to have their prize pitching prospects show up next March in spring training having not thrown an inning that mattered in 18 months. Yeah, I think that that the a real important question is how how itchy our trigger fingers are going to be in our fantasy leagues as well. I mean, even if uh, you know, say Gavin Lux starts the season and he's on your team and the and the Dodgers are willing to stick with him, but we're in the same position as owners as the major league teams are. We can't afford to carry an 0 for 24 off of anybody in our in our roster either. And I wonder how how likely we're going to be to want to react more quickly than usual to, to what look like slumps. Uh, Todd, what do you think about this whole question, both as far as the big league teams are concerned, but also as far as roster management for fantasy teams about coping with these slumps? Yeah, that's going to be tough. Now, um, you know, real quick, I, you know, I, we talk about what we're expecting here out of camp. I mean, I'd love to hear that Joe Odell is getting full-time uh, run in scrimmage and, you know, Nate Pearson and you mentioned maybe Spencer Howard. There's certain prospects that I am, you know, keyed into to find out the information. But, yeah, slumps is going to be tough because, as you suggest, you know, ex- excruciating patience may not be the call. It's getting less and less the call anyway in mixed leagues because of the, uh, the the player pool, not to mention some of the some of the stat cast metrics that are a little bit better at identifying, you know, what's what's a slump and what's just a uh, an unlucky stretch. So I think, it, to me, it's it's just understanding what some of the secondary metrics, some of the next level metrics are, and putting the players under the microscope and looking at, you know, strike are they striking out? If they're striking out, you, like you, the example with with Robert, well, yeah, that's a bad thing. If he's just if he's making hard contact and it's just you know atom balls. Well, then you leave him in the lineup, and so I think it's a, it's a matter of taking you know dissecting that three-week stretch uh, to find out. And this information is now readily available. You know, it's now there. It's now available on 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 Statcast and some other places. So I think that's the uh, you know use the next three weeks to educate yourself on some of those next-level metrics if you're if you're in a mixed league and you and you want to try to identify slumps and you know even pitchers if it's a two or th- off to two or three slow starts will they be lifted. I think you know. Again, you need. You know, is it? Uh, is there a new pitch mix? Is is there something going on? Uh, is is there increased spin? But it's just not getting results. Because if you would have looked at Lucas Lucas Giolito, first three starts last year, they were terrible. 
But if you were to go under the hood, you would see he's doing different things. So at least there's a chance and doing good, you know, the things are positive, the chance he would turn it around. So I think it's in, and it's not an exact science. You, you, you know, there's still a whole lot of, you know, guessing going on, but I think it has to be more than writing the hot hand. So um, I just, you know, you can't get, you can't get too married, especially players you took at the back end. And, and the other thing about it, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about it as we go on, but with the condensed schedule and you're facing the same teams, sometimes a slump is just facing a really good pitching staff, you know. And, and so it may just be that we how we don't know how the schedule is going to work out. It just may be that some slumps are just terrible matchups for a week, and the next week they're facing a completely different staff, and 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 there you go. And and the the, the player's suddenly hot. Well, he's not hot. He's just faking facing weaker pitching. I think that's all true, and it's going to be incumbent upon owners who want to succeed in this uh, much shortened sprint to the finish to be really cognizant of what's under the hood, as you said, Todd, and using you know Baseball HQ tools and and other sure. tools that are out there to say, you know, is this a fact or a fluke, basically, and and act accordingly. Having said that, I'm really looking forward to the first week of free agent moves in some of my leagues because I bet they're going to be super busy, especially since I drafted all my teams in March. And a lot of the a lot of the suppositions that went into those March drafts are going to have been completely uh, abolished for one reason or another. And I, I just uh, I think it's going to be really fun to get into those fab bids in, in week one and week two. Uh, let's move on to the effects, guys, of the rules changes in effect for the shortened season, uh, starting with the DH. Uh, the National League is going to use the DH this year for the first time. Does that change anything, Ray? I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, it might be the interesting thing is so much to the point Todd was making earlier. So much has changed. So many other things are changing that we're not getting a controlled environment to tease out exactly what the effect of the NLDH is going to be. So we don't even know if it's going to stick around until 2021 at this point. But we're not going to be able to isolate what came out of the NLDH versus what came out of the divisional alignment with the interleague play versus what came out of the expanded rosters, et cetera. Um, so it makes a difference, you know, if you favored off the cuff National League pitchers before, maybe you do that a little less now. I mean, it, obviously the ballpark still matters. Uh, pitching in San Francisco versus pitching in Coors Field is still a very different thing. But the the inherent baked-in advantage for the pitchers is gone. And it'll be interesting to see how many t NL teams – go with a more or less dedicated DH versus just shuttling guys through on platoon bases or days of rest or what have you. So, yeah, there's 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 a couple of layers to that onion. Yeah, um, we'll start we'll, we'll, we'll start with the hitting, and I think this is a point that's been made, and I think most people understand it, but it's not, it's not just who's the DH, because in some cases the player was going to play anyway. It's the players that pick up extra playing time, maybe even in the field. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, maybe Mark Car Matt Carpenter gets more time at DH and he wasn't going to play in the field, but Ryan Braun was going to play a lot in the field. So it's, it's, it's not like he jumps up a ton, well, depending upon how much you thought, but it's the backfill that's more important. But, I mean, as far as the pitching goes, Ray, I don't know if you if you kind of ran the numbers out of curiosity, but I, ha having a after adjusting for NL, I found a, a, a new paradigm as far as pitching goes. You, it's no longer draft NL pitching and AL hitters. The 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 NL lineup without the pitcher and the AL lineup without the DH, the NL lineups are better. And if you now add in DHs, 
if you want to make the assumption that they're the same as AL, which you know, who knows, but let's start on that. That means the NL lineups are going to be stronger than the AL lineups, which means that you want AL pitching. And I actually, when I when I reran my numbers out of the top 90 starting pitchers, I think I now have 53. So it's 53 to 37 or whatever. It's it's strongly now favored the American League, and it was it flipped. It completely flipped. So to me, it's a big it's a big switch as far as strategy goes in the pitching. Now we don't know what the NL how the NLDH. We're making somewhat of an estimate. We also don't know how you know you're taking away intentional walks to the eighth and you know the seventh and eighth hitters. So things would have you know manifested differently. But all we can do right now is things on paper. And you no longer you know you no longer want to go into a draft and tie no longer goes to the NL. The there could be more. I'm you know I'm going to predict that there are more runs scored in the National League this year than there are in the American League. Yeah, it could be. And yet, you know, the other thing is the uh, you know the combined ballpark factors of the three pods, and then on top of that, you get into we haven't seen the schedule yet. But one of the things I'm really anxious to see in the schedule is are there going to be patterns to the schedule? Are teams going to go to San Francisco and San Diego in the same week, and Colorado and Arizona in the same week, and Pittsburgh and Cleveland in the same week or what have you and are there going to be opportunities to game the schedule that way well that was the next question I was going to come up with which is the divisional alignment and of course we don't know exactly how that's going to shake out but uh, it is pretty clear that there's going to be a real unbalanced nature to the schedule with teams within divisions playing each other a lot more as a percentage of games played than they usually do. So uh, I'm wondering what are what are we going to be looking for in that? And Todd, uh, let me start with you. If we assume that it's going to be more or less like what we're what we've seen in years past, the divisions will be more or less parallel. Which divisions in particular do you think we need to look at uh, to target or untarget hitters and pitchers? Right, so um, there's two, there's two, there's sort of two parts of this answer. The first is, and, and to me, it's more people are thinking about park factors. Strength of opponent is so much more important yeah. than the park. I much rather face a a terrible pitcher in a pitcher's park than a uh, you know than a good pitcher in a hitter's park. You know, give me give me the the, the lousy arm, and the the park will take care of itself. But just looking at these are using my projections, and you know they're. I, everybody, you know, has to use their own and or whatever it is they use. But the the uh, using using Woba for batters, I'm finding that the NL East and the NL West have got the highest combined Woba. NL Central is 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 next and third. The weakest is actually the AL East, which I found a little bit confusing. Not so much confusing, but a little bit surprising. But that's just uh, it, it was a little bit interesting. So I mean, ALE's pitching is is not to be feared, I don't think anyway. So that that to me that's an interesting factor that I'm not going to fear ALE's pitching. Now the the two the two central divisions though are sort of you know lower down. If you look at divisions in tandem, the central divisions batters are. You, their combined wOBA is the weakest of any of the three geographical locations, so I want pitching in the in the uh, in the in the central, and especially I think I, I think even more so because of the favorite American League, I want American League pitching, I, I want AL Central pitching, which you know the Twins, 
uh, are front and center because they've already said that they're they're ready to go. You know, six you know six innings right now. But to me, you know, the Indians because I don't think Clevenger. Well, Clevenger may be slow played, but Shane Bieber and and we'll see what happens with Carrasco still. Right now, all systems go, but no one's going to bat an eye if he decides to sit this one out after the leukemia last year. But to me, that's you know you know you want NL Central as, as well. But I want pitching in the Centrals, and I want bats. I want I want bats in the uh, in the NL West and NL East. Now, as far as park factors go, this is the tricky part because, as you guys suggest, we know the skeleton of the schedule, and part of it's going to be interleague play. You're going to get three games against two of the teams and four games against the other two teams. But it's I can't imagine they're two and two. They have to be four game series. Which means home and away aren't aren't balanced. There could be a, a team in the AL West that goes to Colorado and has and hosts the Giants, and another in their competitor in the AL West maybe hosts the Rockies and goes to San Francisco. Normally, in a, in a, in a 160 game season, everything evens out, but in a 60 game season, like just you know eight games where these two teams are at the extreme. On paper, it's going to make a difference. So I have to kind of hold the final answer till I get to do the park adjustment. Now, having said all that, and you guys have alluded to this, we're, Ray, we're going to make all sorts of on-paper adjustments, but the noise in this season is going to blow. It's going to mask everything. So people, you know, you were wrong. You made this. You made this adjustment was wrong. Well, no, it may not have been wrong. It just may have been that in 60 games, noise is just going to blow away you know, any of the on-paper adjustments that are made. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, one, just one other aspect about that schedule, you make a great point about people who may have to go to San Francisco and not Colorado or vice versa. But what about those teams, too? You know, I'm also very interested in, you know, putting the NFBC hat on for a minute or any league that has weekly lineups. Um, what a, you know? How often are the Rocks or the Giants or any team with a significant park factor in either direction going to be home for the entire week versus road for the entire week? Makes a big difference whether they change location for pitchers. It makes a big difference whether they change locations on Thursday or on Sunday, and you get a whole week of hitters home and cores versus you know on the road and do and going to San Francisco or whatever. If we see that the you know the, the way they're setting up the schedule leads to teams in extreme parks being home or away for entire weeks of our calendar rather than changing location midweek it creates what way more opportunity to swap guys in and out not just i mean we're going to go through all this work and there's i don't know what team it's going to be but one of the things that mlb can do is they can move a team out of their home home park yeah, totally if it's a <laughs> if it's a hot spot you know imagine the rockies i'm not I, you know, I'm not making an editorial judgment of what's going on in Colorado. I'm just using it as the baseball example. Imagine if the Rockies had a move, right? And they moved. Yeah, them. what if they go, they go to Omaha you know, after two they weeks? They said you're, you're sharing, like, oh, you're on. sharing San Diego, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um. So, you know, For we sure. can make all these. It, to me, it's it's like kind of like football, where you you know, football is all about you know coming up with game flow. And if the opening touchdown, opening kickoff return for a touchdown, it completely messes up the game flow, and everybody, all the pass catching running backs you started, are now you know moot because the team's going to run the ball because they have an early lead, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's, it's you know the best laid plans of mice and men, you know could be the could be the theme of this this season. We're going to have our plans formed in July, and then the first pitch gets thrown, and everything after that's going to be reacting. 
I have one last question, and uh, I don't play DFS a lot, so it doesn't affect me personally, but I'm curious whether you think the the changed system is going to affect your approach to the DFS that you do play. Ray, I know you play uh, DFS quite a bit, and I know Todd does too. Uh, does the adjusted setup of Major League Baseball have any real effect on how you're going to play DFS? I guess I only have Todd's the far better person to answer this, but my answer is what's changed in MLB is only one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is how they change the pricing on the DFS sites. And give me the intersection of those two, and we can start talking about how you play it. But right now, at least I've only got one half of that picture. Actually, I'm going to – there's another factor, and I think that to me this is the key, and I don't. I'm not into it enough to know the answer to this, but I think it is important, and I think the DFS sites may know. It's to me. I mean, the pricing's the pricing. You, you make the adjustments. To me, it's who else is playing. Are there are the sharks going to still be playing? Uh, are the because now we're going to be overlapping with football, hockey, and and and, and football and, and basketball. So are people that you you know is is going to be is it going to be easier to win? This year, because some of the some of the bankroll, normally baseball only, is now being divided by some of these DFS sharks. And you know, if that's the case, you know, I I, I play for fun anyway. But even so, you know, I'm not gonna. I, I don't. I never turn down the money that I do win. So it's it's more than just for fun. But if I read and if I'm hearing that the pools are diluted, there's not as much you know sharks in there. Maybe it's a time to uh, to take advantage. In my experience, when the sharks leave, new sharks come in because they don't—they don't like the competition either, and they might uh, perceive that if all the sharks are moving to football, then maybe uh, well, if a I'm a point. shark, I'm going to move back to baseball because I—I uh, I like the ratio of sharks to minnows better where there are fewer sharks. I don't know. That's just me, guys. Uh, this has been a slice. I've been looking forward to getting Baseball HQ Radio started for months now, and now that it's here, uh, I couldn't have had better guests than you two guys. Uh, Todd, thanks a million for helping us out. We'll talk to you throughout the abbreviated season. Looking forward to it already, PD. Ray, thanks a million for all your support of Baseball HQ Radio, but most especially for being on the show and being such a terrific guest. I appreciate it. Looking forward to talking about some actual news next week. <laughs> Ray Murphy is co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com and a columnist at the site. Todd Zola runs Masters Ball, writes for Rotowire, and appears regularly on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio and more podcasts than Malcolm Gladwell. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, July the 2nd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 17 of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball season. Of course, I want to thank our guests for this Friday Roundtable Edition, Ray Murphy and Todd Zola. Both of these guys are longtime friends and supporters of Baseball HQ Radio, and I'm glad to say they're also longtime friends of mine as well. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. And take a second to go to Stitcher or Pocket Casts, iTunes, wherever you catch your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. That really does help new listeners find the program and allows us to find new listeners. And all of that helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with a Friday full edition news and comment 
and interviews. I hope you'll be with us then for another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Have a great 4th of July. Stay safe and so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.